Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Coming to you live from Los Angeles for the entire week. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to SiriusXM Progress. Our executive producer is the great Chris Hauselt running things from the uh, South Carolina studio. The Arbor runs things from the Brooklyn studio. I'm coming to you from the Santa Monica studio. It is the 72nd birthday of Tom Petty. And all night long, we're going to pay tribute to the great man playing his music and talking about him and, and getting your stories. What was your favorite song, your favorite album? Did you ever see him live? Which tour? All that fun stuff. Uh, 866-997-4748. We're also going to be joined by Professor Corey Brechneider, author and uh, columnist from Brown University, who uh, will be talking about Donald Trump's deposition this week, all of his various legal problems, and on a more broad scale, all of the problems democracy is facing right now. It's a pretty scary time. The media has decided that uh, the Democrats are going to get clobbered. Never mind the fact that if if Democrats are supposed to get clobbered when it's their first term, you've got high inflation, high gas prices, and a president with below 50% approval rating. If the Democrats can hang on to the Senate and only lose three or four House seats, that's going to be considered extraordinarily successful, considering everything this administration's up against. But, you know, let's just say, okay, the pundits are all right. No one's going to show up to vote. I cannot tell you the amount of radio shows and uh, news articles I've read in the last 48 hours that tell me uh, Americans don't care about Roe v. Wade anymore. That spiked early. They're, they've moved on now. They're not as upset anymore. They don't care about decriminalizing weed. Americans don't really care about the student loan debt forgiveness. They don't care about January 6th and all the hearings we've seen. They don't care about the first significant gun legislation in over 30 years. Nah, nah, it's all gas prices. And I get that. I totally understand. It's easy to overlook the many successes of this administration, the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, we're literally, literally going to be able to negotiate drug prices now. I mean, the, the debt relief, the access to reproductive health care, the Chips and Science Act, you know, the most jobs ever created in the first year of a presidency. In two years, Joe Biden created more jobs than the last three Republican presidents combined. That's going back to 1989. But I get it. Gas prices are high. And that is why OPEC rigged our election last week by ceasing production and making gas prices skyrocket all over again. Everywhere. Since I got off the plane here in L.A., it's just at least $6 a gallon anywhere. It's a scary time, but 
I want to know what you guys think. Will there still be turnout? Do you think that in spite of what all of the polls are telling us, that there's still going to be a lot of people who care, a lot of people who aren't going to check out because they're mad at gas prices? I, I don't understand how you can care about climate change and care about abortion rights and care about labor and then just stay home. I also think there's a very good chance, and some of y'all can tell me if I'm wrong, that um, these polls are polls of people who answer their landline phones during dinner hours. These polls are polls of people who answer their cell phone when they see a number and they don't know who it is. There's just a lot of different factors at play. Really want to know what you guys think. Thea is with us tonight for another edition of the Minority Report. And special guest tomorrow night, Francis Callier and Angela V. Shelton, also known as Frangela. Two of the funniest women in comedy. They are the African-American powerhouse comedy duo that I get to do live dates with. And we're performing this weekend at Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour in Los Angeles at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. If you're in L.A., come on down. We'll be joined on stage by Rob Reiner. We'll be joined by the great Glenn Kirshner. Hal Sparks is performing as well. Stephanie, I saw her this morning. That lady is riled up and ready to offend nice people on stage this Saturday. And best part of all, if you can't make it to L.A., you can see the whole thing on pay-per-view. Yes, starting at 8 p.m. on the West Coast. So starts late, East Coast, 11 p.m., but then it'll be a pay-per-view. You can watch it at your convenience whenever you want. Have breakfast on, on Sunday morning if you like. But that's going to be such a fun show. I have really been enjoying working out my set, going around the different clubs in both coasts and, uh, and playing around. So uh, do tune in Saturday night for the Sexy Liberal Show. Now, we're going to be taking your calls at 866-997-4748. There's a lot going on in the news. We've got a lot to get to. I'm so glad you're here with us. And I want to begin tonight with um, an unsolicited appeal to former President Jimmy Carter. Is that okay? Can I do that? You, you guys can check out. This is just for President Carter. I'm sure he listens. And if he doesn't, someone will get him this audio. Hello, sir. We've never met. I've been trying to get you on my show for like, I don't know, since three government shutdowns ago. So I'll make this brief because I know you're 90 years old and you've probably already built like six entire houses today. Uh, I come from a very Christian background as well, sir. My mom was a nun. My dad was a Franciscan brother. They were very deeply Christian people, but they did this crazy thing. You might understand. Uh, they followed the teachings of Jesus and not the teachings of right-wing televangelist bigots. I was the only kid in my class whose parents took him to church every week and every holy day. And I was also the only kid in my class whose parents voted for you in 1980. So, you know, I, I grew up admiring you a great deal. Uh, your military service, of course. One time I did a quote on a TV show of mine, uh, and, and it got misattributed to you. Maybe you heard about this. It's on Snopes. Everyone was circulating a quote of mine with your picture. I, just so you know, Jimmy, I had no problem with it. I, I hope it got you groupies. You, you, you deserve all the glory. It, it would be an honor. You didn't steal my quote. Someone had misattributed it, and that's the closest I've ever come to meeting you. But you know what? The point is, Jimmy, can I call you Jimmy? You were, you were proven right about everything. You created more jobs in one term than Reagan did in two. The world caught up with you. You won a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, congratulations on winning at life and winning at history. But that's not why I'm here, Mr. President. You might have heard this, Jim. I'm going to go. Uh, Donald Trump stole these ultra secret documents that belong to the National Archive. Yeah, right? Isn't that crazy? I mean, like literally, our librarians got robbed by an illiterate. <laughs> yes, a joke. I'm, I'm sure you're briefed on it, sir, and you're following it thoroughly. I, I'll get to it. Uh, so he's claimed 
that uh, it wasn't uh, illegal for him to take classified documents because he has the power as a former president. He can he can declassify it mentally with his mind. All he has to do is think about it and it's declassified. President Carter, I didn't know ex-presidents had this power. So I'm, I'm just bothering you here to ask if you could do your nation a favor. If you wouldn't mind, sir, and again, check with Rosalind, see how she feels, but would you mind maybe just really quick mentally reclassifying it with your mind? Sir, I, I'm in Los Angeles and I've asked around. Okay, I've been advised to tell you that you are, as a former president, legally allowed to mentally reclassify any documents by multiple lawyers and several psychics I have talked to here in the L.A. Uh, area. Look, Mr. Carter, once upon a time, you served this nation in the Navy and then in the White House. And now your nation calls you to service once more. We just want you to mentally reclassify it. OK, that's going to close the deal on this. And by the way, Jimmy, you, you have to do this. Who am I going to ask? Joe Biden's very busy. He's fighting the Taliban in Texas and Florida. Well, I'm going to ask Obama. <laughs> You think Obama's going to do that? He's not going to take my call. Obama's not. That, that's, that's not his game. Obama's above all this. Obama's not going to mentally touch anything that Trump has mentally touched. It's like cooties for him. He won't, he won't do And Bill Clinton, he should do it. People like Bill back when he used to fight back, but he's not going to do it. He's just going to avoid the, the spy. Bill, Bill, he's not going to help us. Jim, Jim, you know Bill Clinton's not going to do this. And who am I going to ask? Bush? George W. I, I, I could ask him. I mean, that guy needs to redeem himself in a big way. It would make him look really good. He never actually came out and told people not to vote for Trump. I know, right? I, I, I mean, I could ask. No, I'm not going to. I, I asked Bush, you know what's going to happen? He's going to come out and be like, want to see my picture I painted? No, no, it's got to be you, Jim. A nation turns its lonely eyes to you. You, President Carter, are the chosen one to mentally reclassify these documents, to subject Trump to more legal exposure and to destroy his claim of executive privilege in a most righteous way. You think Merrick Garland can do this on his own? No, Jimmy, Jimmy. Merrick Garland is like trying to decide if he wants to go with a pair of loafers that don't have tassels. It has to be you, Jim. You have to save us. And I know you will, because you're a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ, not the right-wing televangelist bigots, which means you're Jimmy Carter. You're going to do what's right, and you're not going to give a fuck. So thank you, Mr. President. And, and it won't take any time, seriously. Like, you literally just have to think it. Like, you can go build more houses. But just think it once, and we're square. Thank you. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
And welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. Let's go to the great Professor Corey Brettschneider. You know him from his appearances on our show, author of The Essential Book to Understand Your Democracy, The Oath in the Office. Perhaps you've studied under him at the poli department at Brown. Perhaps you've read his biting analyses in Time and the New York Times. And don't forget his great Penguin Liberty series, books on free speech, on impeachment, and on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. We're always honored to welcome back Professor Corey Brettschneider. Hello, sir. Hi, John. Looking forward to the conversation. It's great to have you. Thank you. Uh, I've been looking forward to speaking with you for a couple of days now because yesterday was, a, a, a to me, a pretty big day that a sitting president had to give a deposition. In this case, it was the E. Jean Carroll case. Now, it's not a case about rape. It's a case about defamation. And it really seems like this should be easy for Donald Trump to avoid, but he can't stop getting himself in trouble. <laughs> uh, he can't. And, um, you know, all he had to do was be silent about this and it, it would have gone away um, in, in, in the sense that there was a statute of limitations that required them to find another way uh, to try to pursue this. Um, uh, and of course, the ultimate idea is to try to make Trump accountable for um, actions that, you know, seem credible to me uh, for, for right. raping somebody. I mean, we're talking about the, the former president of the United States. And so the idea was when he, when he denied the claims and her accusations that they brought this, uh, libel suit, uh, against him. Now the twist is that the Biden administration is actually defending Trump in the sense that they're saying that, um, this was an official act when he denied, um, even if it was a lie, when he, when he denied this, um, when he denied this, uh, accusation. And so therefore, as a, a official act by a government employee, an employee of the federal government, he's immune under the Federal Tort Claims Act and the mm. Department of Justice actually taken over here. So it's a bizarre moment where and we can talk about, you know, what I think of that. I think I'd like to talk about what you think of it. But yeah, well, yeah. There, there's there's so many layers to this and, and that I, I need to ask yeah. you about, because obviously, I mean, on the surface, it just seems bad because he's fighting the release of his own DNA in a rape case. Like, like he yeah. has evidence that could prove he's innocent and he doesn't want to share it. So uh, that, that's what I'm still trying to deal with on the top level of all this. But yeah. what happened yesterday was fascinating that it seems like he completely blew up his whole defense against this defamation case by going on his little, his little white supremacist Twitter site and calling her claims a hoax. And once again, and saying she was essentially too unattractive for him to rape. I mean, Professor, if his lawyers argued he was protected against defamation because he's president, can she amend her complaint since Trump is no longer president and use what he said yesterday against him? I would think so. And I think more than that, that you know, to my mind, it's outrageous. The Department of Justice didn't withdraw their their claim that they're that they're intervening here because of things that he said while he was acting in his official duties. I don't think that he was acting in his official duties even when he was president, but he certainly can't be acting in his official duties as president after he's president. So right. what they're doing there it makes no sense to me. It's, uh, it makes yeah, no sense. Repeated, I mean, this is the time, this is the time the for the DOJ. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I've been. Uh, this is what made me crazy all day, Corey. I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this because yes. doesn't the Department of Justice, uh, obviously, it's admittedly very awkward on the surface. They have to be defending him in this. But isn't this now the time that he repeated 
his his defamation uh, and he's no longer president. So the issue over whether he can be sued for defamation he committed as president doesn't apply anymore. He's just done it. The yeah. DOJ should I mean, withdraw it, from this case, right? It could be um, that Roberta Kaplan, who's this really great attorney who, you know, did the Charlottesville case, which she won. She won the Obergefell case it's establishing the right to gay marriage. She knows what she's doing. So she might well be in the process of doing that and pushing DOJ out by amending the complaint to add add this this new set of facts that's relevant to the to the accusation that he's that he's libeled her. But even I mean, I'd go further than that. I mean, what drives me crazy is, yes, he was president, but he wasn't acting in any way in his official duties. What is the official duty of the president of the United States that requires him to libel somebody about a rape that happened um, that allegedly happened years before he was president? So I think, you know, the the analogy here is, is that there are differences in the kind of claims that are being raised. But there's a broad analogy with the Paula Jones case. She, you know, this was an event that took place well before Clinton was president and, and well before Trump was president. In the Paula Jones case, the, the court allowed the civil suit to go through. And, exactly. you know, they should have done the same here. And DOJ should have seen that, that this is just not something uh, that they should have intervened. Now, I, you know, I think what they're doing, let's just be blunt about it, is going overboard in an attempt to be fair and to, you know, not seem partisan and to, you know, think about the presidency more generally. But but that's totally misplaced in this this case, in my opinion. Well, you, you make another really good point, which is that this is a civil case, much like Paula Jones. And so I'm curious, you'll have to forgive my, my lack of understanding of the law, but uh, we don't know anything about what happened yesterday in this deposition. We just right. know that her lawyers released a statement saying they were happy that he gave his deposition uh, under oath. Uh, if this is a civil case, he, he can't take the fifth, right? I mean, could that be used against him if he tried to take the fifth in a civil case? He can. My understanding is he can take the fifth. He can refuse to answer based on the you know, entitlement to not incriminate uh, oneself. But, and this is your point, which is absolutely right, the difference is that in a criminal case, you're not supposed to use that against someone or against a criminal defendant. But you absolutely, and the jurors will you know, eventually be instructed that if he pleads the fifth in response to a civil claim that they can weigh that against them. It's not enough to show his guilt, of course, but it's enough to make, uh, you know, common sense says we should be suspicious of this. And that's what so, the jurors will be told. Let me ask you just one more question, then, uh, because I'm, I'm sorry to be such a neophyte about this, and, and I'm sure your students are, are much more up on top of these things. Oh, than it's I historic. I, and, you know, what, what could be more important than, than, a, than a former president being accused of, you know, one of the most serious crimes that there is? And, uh, you know, the the convoluted thing in our democracy that protects somebody. I, I think we've got to go deep, deep on this exactly as we are. Well, what could be more important than this is the fate of democracy itself. But but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that next. Yeah. But but here's my question. Assuming he doesn't take the fifth and he answers questions, assuming he, he, he denied this, it is a 30 year old accusation. Uh, doesn't that mean he can't? show a DNA test unless he, I mean, unless he really didn't do it. And she's really been insanely reckless and claims to still have DNA on this dress all these years later. I mean, if he answers any questions, couldn't a DNA test show he lied under oath? Yeah, that's one risk. And, you know, my guess is that he doesn't want DNA to be released because it's not going to exonerate him. If he was so confident that he never met this person, that there's no way that's his DNA, then sure, let the test be released. 
you know, I, I think that's common sense. And uh, his, you know, aggressive stance here suggests to me that, that he definitely does have something to hide. And, of course, the, the firm denials in the way that he do, does, claiming to never have met her when there's a picture of him with her and her husband, yeah. for instance, is, you know, classic Trump, the thing that we come to expect, that he, he goes in the opposite extreme uh, of the truth. And, and that sounds to me like what he's doing. Here now, as I said, you know, this isn't any lawyer. She is one of the best lawyers out there. And I think whatever happened yesterday, my guess is it didn't go well for him. Why? Wow. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep all the cases straight, Professor, as you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, he actually found time in his statement to uh, smear the attorney general of New York. Again, he, he, he took the Fifth Amendment uh, a couple hundred times in that deposition. This is something a former president has never done before, right? A former president's never taken the Fifth. Well, a former president's never had these kind of charges brought against him. Has never been investigated by the Department of Justice. I mean, there's, yeah. we thought the unprecedented would end when this guy left office, but he still finds yeah. a way to, to set new high marks for low behavior. Yeah, I mean, I should say, I think in the Nixon case, there should have been these investigations. He did testify under oath, but only after the pardon, so he wasn't going to be prosecuted for any of those crimes. He testified Nixon from his uh, house in California. But the only reason why we didn't go through all these processes uh, is because the pardon protected him, and we would have had a criminal process, and that would have been a precedent for this. Now, unfortunately, because of the pardon, we're in a position where we're in uncharted uh, waters. But but I, I do think, you know, at some point we've got to realize the presidency is a really dangerous weapon. And we've now seen two presidents who I think classify as, as pure criminals and Trump and Nixon. And uh, we've got to really learn from that and try to reconfigure the way that we we think of, of the presidency. You know, we've, you started off talking about parliament. I mean, parliament is just so much more adept at dealing with incompetence. That's the instance that we're dealing with the prime minister now too but you know if a prime minister commits a crime there's no immunity that's straightforward and uh you know i think we've got to try to figure out how to get that in our system here too well let's shift into something really depressing then shall we uh and that's the fate of democracy itself we're about to have a midterm election in what 18 days where over 60 percent of americans will on their ballot see the name of someone who is pushing the big lie about the 2020 elections. And the New York Times has a rather depressing article today. Voters see democracy in peril, but saving it isn't a priority, which highlights a new New York Times Siena College poll where more than a third of independent voters and a, a smaller but noteworthy percentage of Democrats say they're open to supporting candidates who reject the legitimacy of the 2020 election because they care more about their immediate concerns about the economy than the fate of democracy and the country's whole political system. Voters believe American democracy is in danger, but it seems like they're kind of apathetic, Professor. I mean, I just, I, I, I've been looking forward to talking about this because I need guidance. I just <laughs> sort of hit a wall. I thought, I thought you know, I, there's one thing that, that people won't stand for when we were going through Trump that they weren't standing for, that they were pushing back against, and that's you know, a president who's devoted to making himself a dictator or a king. That's the basic idea of America. It's our identity that we have a presidency, a limited office, and that somebody who tries to engineer a coup to stay in power, you know, is committing a crime and belongs in prison, not at getting another shot at the White House and not having those people who are supporting 
him get a, get a shot at, at uh, being elected in the midterm elections. And that's exactly where we were. And what's so frightening about this poll is they've really narrowed down and just asked people, like, do you care more basically about inflation or do you care about the future of democracy and a significant number of people changed from the summer when January 6th, the January 6th committee was having a real influence, uh, are now saying, well, we care more about inflation. You know, it's so high and, uh, you know, not to minimize that, but inflation can be fixed. It's, you know, the problem that cycles through every so often. And, you know, after, um, you know, a certain period, a year, say even two years, even three, it can be fixed. You destroy democracy. Uh, then we've got a dictatorship. We've got a, a system that uh, took hundreds of years to build. And so the idea that you're asking people and they're just saying straight up, well, I care more about inflation. I guess in some ways, it you know, it's frightening. It's baffling. But it is a reminiscent of, of the danger of fascism. That, that, well, that's you know, it, that right? The idea that you care we've more about, about this before. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, but but how many fascist regimes used fears of inflation and economic yeah. turmoil to rise to power? You know, right. again, I mean, we had this White House that was bragging deservedly how gas prices had gone down, you know, for what, 20 weeks in a row. And then suddenly, about two weeks ago, Russia, Saudi Arabia, OPEC decides, all right, that's it. We are going to cut oil production. And suddenly the price of oil goes up around the globe. Three weeks before our midterm election, we see how election interference can assume many, many forms. I'm talking to you from Los Angeles. I get off the plane and every place is at least $6 a gallon gas over here. It's all a response to what OPEC just did. It's the price of oil, you know, hasn't changed, but it's price gouging. They're doing it yeah. and they're doing it right before an election. So it seems like they know when people are under stress, when people are worried about paying the next bills, it doesn't matter that this president has delivered on on student loan debt forgiveness, that he's delivering right. on letting Medicare negotiate for lower drug prices. Suddenly, uh, what? I, I, the, a quick, easy fix offered by someone who yeah. denies the last election can be very attractive to people who are working hard and don't have time to read all the nuance of every dynamic of every debate. Yeah. And, you know, I, we should be reluctant to go too quickly to the German example for comparison, but it just strikes me as unavoidable here. Weimar, Germany, exactly as you alluded to, um, a constitutional democracy, uh, but not a stable one because largely of uh, economic issues, including inflation. And um, that's enough to uh, get an authoritarian fascist Nazi party into power. And, you know, when you see inflation, you don't think democracy, but they're deeply related that people might decide that this yeah. crazy set of candidates that's saying they can cure inflation with authoritarianism, which, of course, is a lie, um, you know, that maybe they'll go for that this time. And, you know, it's a deep problem in the culture that we don't have a serious, I mean, this poll just makes it too clear. We don't have a serious, deep com- commitment to democracy among the citizenry. And we've got to figure out desperately how to, how to fix that. Well, I mean, another question is also, you know, what should the Democrats be running on? I mean, I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but, uh, you know, a lot of people smarter than me have said making the focus only on abortion rights, that might have worked better in the summer. But now they are taking advantage of the inflationary price shifts and people struggling. And so suddenly, you know, saying we're going to protect abortion rights, it's just not enough for some people. I mean, Bernie Sanders wrote a pretty terrific op-ed. 
just saying that, you know, what has to happen now is that people in this country have to go fight hard uh, on the economy that that, you know, they should be talking about how no Republicans voted for $15 minimum wage, no Republicans voted for paid family leave or making corporations pay their fair share or lowering prescription drug costs, that the Democrats should stop running away from the economy and actually fight the Republicans, because at least the Democrats have a plan. I think, too, that, you know, Democrats have to figure out how to combine all of their ideas into one message, not to think about all these siloed issues, abortion, inflation, democracy. They're one idea, which is that we have a a wannabe authoritarian who's also deeply incompetent and only concerned with one sector of the economy, uh, wealthy, and his own, basically, economic benefit, a kind of kleptocracy. And that's not healthy for uh, a democracy. It threatens economic political collapse and right. i'd like to see them lean into a message that figures out how to tie all of these topics together rather than the sort of consultant speak of uh you know this issue and that issue and let's take an ad on on this and that and and but this you know, is what makes me crazy yeah drive it home but- but, but, I mean, the Republican Party is demonstrably anti-worker, and we've got it with yeah. Rick Scott's 11-point American Rescue Plan he put out. Yeah. You know, I know the entire Republican Party hasn't embraced it, but they haven't shunned it. And it's a proposal from this former governor, now senator, that proposes sunsetting Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid every five years. So every five years, they get to decide if we want to keep this stuff or not. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the chair of the NRSC. Like, <laughs> this is a former health insurance CEO. This guy ties in mm-hmm. so many levels of why the GOP isn't fighting for working people or for seniors or for people who rely on Medicare. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, the Liz Truss example speaks to what we need to be able to bring out here, that there's a danger of a candidate that's saying they only care about one sector of the economy. I mean, she essentially passes, you know, incredibly irresponsible budget to just help the richest people in um, in the U- in the United Kingdom, and it Correct. brought economic collapse. And Trump, you know, I think that's the kind of eco- economic policy a kleptocrat, as opposed to a Democrat, You're right. likely to bring on. Mm, Professor, I can't wait for this midterm to be over. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work, sir? Uh, on the Twitter uh, at Brett Schneider C, and uh, also you could read my stuff at CoreyBrettSchneider.com. Corey, thank you for joining us. Thank you for fighting for democracy. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On 
I'm John Fiegel saying this is Sirius XM progress. You know, you know, in Spike Lee's uh, movie version of Malcolm X, in the very first scene, Spike chose to begin the movie with um, the scene where uh, Malcolm Little, played by uh, Denzel Washington before he becomes Malcolm X, uh, is getting his hair conked. Now, when I was a kid and first read Alex Haley's book, I, I didn't know what conked meant either. But that was the process where black men would use chemicals to make their hair look straight. Or as Denzel Washington says in the movie, to make it look white. Black hair care is a $5 billion business. Chris Rock did a terrific documentary about it called Good Hair. But now there's new signs that chemical hair straighteners have been linked to higher risks of certain cancer in black women. For more, it's time for the great Thea Harper with the Minority Report. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Just kicking it in L.A., you know, just uh, missing all the cold weather you guys are enjoying back in New York. I know. You're, I, you sound like you're living your best life out there. Oh, just I've been <laughs> I've been I, for the first time since pandemic. I'm alone. I haven't had like a week of just being by myself. Uh, I, I love being a dad, but oh, my God, it's so nice to be out here and just I think I'll take a nap now. And boom. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, I, I want to thank you. Every time you do the Minority Report, you always bring really smart stories, usually things that escape the big headlines. Tell me a bit about uh, the story you brought for us tonight and um, why it's important. Yeah, so there's a new study by the National Institutes of Health, and they found that women using chemical hair straightening products are at a higher risk of uterine cancer than women who reported not using them. According to researchers, Black women may have a higher risk because they are more likely to use these chemical products. Yes, I guess it's not a huge surprise that we hear this, but at the same time, it, it just seems like this has probably been a problem for a, a quite a while. What was the kind of uh, study the NIH did? So, yeah, um, a, group, a group of researchers um, looked at the hair care habits of more than 33,000 women and found that those who used chemical hair straining products at least four times a year were... Um, were more than twice as likely to be, to develop uterine cancer. Um, now, can researchers I ask, can said, I ask a, oh, I want to ask a dumb question. May I? I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm very keen on this story. And, mm -hmm. and um, how often would you say uh, people do straighten their hair? I mean, um, I, and I love the look. I, I respect however black women want to wear their hair. Uh, but, you know, if you like to wear your hair straightened, I mean, would uh -huh. you do it four times a year? Or is it something you do much more frequently? Well... For myself, I never straighten my hair with chemicals. Um, right on. I used a hot comb back in the day when I was a kid. Now we have flat right. irons. Right. I mean, but it's still applying heat. Like, I'm still altering my hair texture. Um, right. And I used to do it pretty often um, in my, I want to say, when I was um, in my teens, because I thought that, you know, that's how the white girls in my school like that's how they're wearing their hair like and so i wanted to you know conform it's so it's right. very common um but yeah i i can only speak for myself but uh now i would say i only uh apply heat to my hair about two twice a year um but for right. every woman that's different i i have friends that are like if i don't put chemicals in my hair to straighten it, then what am I going to do? Like, um, because right. in the workplace, 
um, there is discrimination. Like yeah. it definitely exists. Like I know at an old job I had, I remember how people would treat me when my hair was in its natural state and when I mm. and when I would straighten it. When I would when I wear my when I would wear my hair natural curls, people would just stare at it and sometimes not look me in the eyes. Sometimes they would just like just stare. Um, when they were talking to me, stare at my hair. Um, but when I came to work with straight hair, I would receive compliments. So from that moment, I knew how they preferred I show up to work. But there's women that have experienced so much worse than I have. There are women that have shown up to work with with natural hairstyles and have been sent home. Some women lost out on promotional opportunities because oh. of uh, of choosing pretty much not to conform. Right. I mean, it's it's it seems unthinkable in this day and age that mm. this is still the kind of bullshit that women have to deal with. Now, in this study, it, it's terrifying. Again, they mm. they studied thirty three thousand women, you said, and yes. women who used chemical hair straightening products at least four times a year were more than twice as likely to develop uterine cancer. What what kind of chemicals are we talking about here? So, uh, yeah. So re researchers said ca chemicals like parabens, uh phthalates uh, mm -hmm. and fragrances. Like now, like if you go, I, I know a lot of women out there, uh, when you go to like a, a Walgreens or whatever, they they'll there's some products that'll say no parabens because like now, like right. we're starting to learn how um, how these parabens and ph uh, phthalates and fragrances in the hair care products uh, disrupt our endocrine system, which helps uh, regulate hormones. And that in, in turn could raise the risk of uterine cancer. Wow. Now, okay, I have so many questions here. I, I read in this piece that 60% of the participants who, who use straighteners were black women, yes. which I get. I'm married to someone who has curly hair, and I've seen flat irons and blowouts and all that. But it's clear that the exposure burden, as, uh, as this doctor says, is higher among black women. Yes, it is. Um, because if you are um, the the frequent use of this, you're you're actually it's um, you're doubling the risk um, if you're a frequent user of um, of these chemical products, and it's it's mainly black women. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Sixty five thousand new cases of uterine cancer in the U.S. this year. That's three percent of all cancer cases. And again, this is all driven by ever shifting, ever fleeting ideas of what beauty is. That's what makes right. me, my head spin. I, I find it so moving hearing you talk about when you were younger and felt the need to straighten your hair. And I've talked to so many stunning black women who felt this kind of pressure when they were younger. What was your experience? I mean, did you reach a point where you came to dig your hair? Because what I see all the time is, you know, well-intentioned white people who are, uh, I mean, Phoebe Robinson called her book, No, You Can't Touch My Hair, because mm -hmm. there's also the people who fetishize black women's hair, and, and, and that's all awesome. But what was your journey like towards accepting it? You don't do that now. If you did, I'm sure it would look great. But your hair is dynamite, uh, if Thank I may say you. so, without upsetting HR, Ms. Harper. <laughs> um, I, I, for me, it, it was a long journey because... Um, well, I just feel like black women, we just have this connection with our hair. Uh, but for me, um, my godmother, she owns a hair salon. She's a hairstylist. So I pretty right. much grew up in like it always being around her, always being at the hair salon. Right. And like I wanted 
to have a perm. Like I wanted to have my hair straight at all times. Like I wanted it permanently done. And she would always say, no, like no chemicals on your hair. And I did not understand why I'm like, oh, like all the, you know, all the black girls are doing it in my school. Um, and she's like, no, like you're, you're, we're, we're, we're just not going to do that for you. And I didn't yeah. understand, but like, you know, now looking back, like I remember sitting in the salon and like seeing older women getting chemical burns on their scalp and being like, oh, well, that's just a part of the process. Beauty's pain. And like, as I got older, I remember thinking, wow. okay, if you're putting something on your hair that burns, um, <laughs> you know, that can't, that can't be good. Um, yeah. but I I would just say for me over time, I just got more and more comfortable. And also like, I want to say like around like when I was in high school, that's when like the natural hair movement was slowly starting to happen. Right and on. so I was just like, you know, and then like there was also like YouTube became popular and it's like, how, how do you manage your curl pattern? How do you do this? And so I just started learning how to work with my hair how it naturally grows out of my head. <laughs> wow. Manage yeah. manage your curl pattern. These are terms that I've never actually heard or had to say. I'm very impressed. Manage your... <laughs> oh, but, you know, it's just, it's once again, it's the social injustice, right? Like, right. so many women feel the pressure that they have to conform, as you put it, because it, for financial well-being. I mean, to take care of your family, to get a good job, you have to make your hair look a certain way. But as this article in NBC points out, we've seen black kids reprimanded for wearing their hair in braids or dreadlocks. There was this uh, the the high school wrestler in 2018 mm -hmm. who was told to cut off his dreadlocks or forfeit a match. Like, you know, again, these are the things that a lot of well-intentioned white people never know about. And these are the things that don't make it on the news. But we're seeing, OK, you have to have hair that conforms to our standard. But the problem is the treatment to get that hair could kill you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, that's why the Crown Act is so crucial. Um, what, what, what is the Crown Act? What, what does that stand for? I forget. So that, was... that, that stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. And it would prohibit the discrimination based on an individual's uh, style of hair. Mm. Um, and the Senate hasn't voted on the bill, but... More than a dozen states have passed laws to ban uh, racial discrimination against natural hair since 2019. So I, I, I think, you know, that that's important. But also, like, a part of me thinks that, um, you know, more studies like this are important. And I think in the future, what I would like to see is more hair companies, like, being held accountable that make these products. They should yes. be be putting disclaimers on the boxes to inform women that, you know, this may be linked to uterine cancer. Warning because, could kill you with uterine cancer. Yes. My right, God. Because, it's like, because if we're educated on this, then we can, we can focus on prevention. Yeah. And, and again, it, you know, if you're going to make it this hard for women to get ahead in this workplace for things like, you know, just getting promotions or even getting loans. Um, and, but you got to look a certain way. And it's just playing with people's lives to achieve mm -hmm. a white sense of beauty that is not grounded in any kind of truth or justice. It's just the, it's the kind of story that shows that the personal is almost always political. Yeah, wow. definitely. How do you like wearing your hair most? What is your favorite style of choice? Um, now I, I love wearing my curls more. I've just I, I don't know. I just I fall in love with it. it it's big. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Your hair is amazing. Of course, I have amazing photos of Thea's hair, but she never lets me post the photos I want. We, we have the best pictures of me, Thea, and Chris when Chris actually spent two days with us in the last two and a half years, and Thea was the one to nix the entire thing. But Burn her hair looks those pictures, so, please. Uh, you know, I'm going to send not because again. of my hair. <laughs> I'm going to send those pictures to you again, so you can. I'll, I'll choose another. I'll choose another angle on the live shot. Uh, Ms. Harper, thank you so much. Um, how do people follow you if they want to keep up with your postings? Uh, well, thank you so much, John. Um, people can follow me at I am Thea Harper on Twitter. Dynamite. Thank you for this story. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's go to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748. Marsha in California, welcome. Hi, John. Thank you so much. So Thank I you. heard your interview with uh, Corey Witt Schneider. Yes. And, and it made me think that DOD uh, Austin uh, was heard mentioning that the war in Ukraine was going to weaken Russia, or was meant to weaken Russia. Well, yes. this is how Russia is weakening us, is with the high oil prices, their, Correct. their agreement with Saudi Arabia. And Correct. yes. People do vote on the basis of the price of gas. That's true. And, and and Vladimir Putin, if there's one thing he's good at, it might not be invading Ukraine, but he knows how to manipulate our elections. And it's incredible. The timing of what OPEC did. You know, the White House had finally gotten some momentum on months of gas prices going down every week. And then in one day, the Saudis and Putin destroyed that. Yeah. And abortion is going out the window. It's like People are changing their minds. Oh, my God. I, I mean, po- but, but, but again, this is what the pollsters are telling us. This is what pollsters are telling us. And I always take a lot of that with a grain of salt. Uh, I, I just think we're in an age now where polls can be reliable. But who's answering the calls? That's my question on every poll that we see. And is it all just folks who are answering landline phones during dinner hours? So, uh, you know, I, I know that the media wants us to think that there's going to be a red wave. I know the media definitely wants us to think that no one cares about abortion rights anymore. I'm not sure it's true. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to just take, you know, reminding everyone and maybe all these stories of doom and gloom are going to backfire on the establishment. And it'll motivate tons of people in blue and red states to get out there and vote Democratic, because the only thing that works is voting for Democrats and then kicking their ass every day that they're in office. But the GOP has no plans whatsoever to mm-hmm. do anything about inflation other than, I guess, blaming it on undocumented immigrants and Joe Biden. That's their strategy. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I. You know, I, I'm not that logical a person, but that really doesn't seem very logical to me. No, to me as well. 
me as well. But again, it's not about logic. You know, if it was logic, we wouldn't have to, you know, rationalize it. It's about fear. And it's about people being angry that, you know, it's hard to buy stuff. And, you know, what can Joe Biden do? I mean, they've done so much to try to fight the inflation. But at the end of the day, prices are high and not everyone has the time to read the news and read the analysis and know that. I mean, if you ever hear conservative brothers and sisters calling this show, they don't understand that inflation is happening all across the world. They don't understand that America is actually doing a lot better than a lot of our capitalist allies in terms of inflation. All they know is a loaf of bread costs how much? And that yeah, sometimes is all it takes. I wanted to ask you. I believe that fear um, is the precedent for anger. And I think when people are afraid, they're less likely to vote. And when they're angry, they're more likely to vote. What do you think? You're right. I I think you're right as well. I I do. I think, you know, if you're scared, you'll just switch it off and not care. If you're overwhelmed or depressed, you'll just switch it off. A lot of people do vote against things. A lot of people do vote out of anger. This the tragedy is this Republican Party has learned how to get hardworking conservative white folks to vote for nothing but cutting taxes for millionaires and cutting regulations for polluters. They say what they need to say and none of it matters to them. You know, we, we have we've had everything Jesus talked about replaced by uh, putting women in jail for abortion. That's all Christianity means now in this country. So it, it's kind of sad, but this is the design. You've got to keep people low information voters, keep them outraged and upset all the time. And keep telling them who to blame. That's what Republicans do. Yeah. And Republicans have done nothing to make lives better for non-millionaires. You know, those Republicans, they probably work their tails off. And all they can do when they go home is eat and watch TV and then go to sleep. I so mean, true. It's, yeah, it's part of an amazing design. Yeah. And then, of course, they're told who to blame, right? They're told right. who it is that you have to be mad at for all these things. But again, you know, we had a pandemic and and Donald Trump was the one who got OPEC to cut production in 2020, which caused gas prices to go up. And just when Joe Biden and this administration had been working and working and gas prices were going down a little bit more, a little bit more every week, OPEC stepped in three weeks before our election and did something they knew would raise the price of gas in this country. Why Democrats aren't calling that election interference is beyond me.